electronic device lifted above your head. Let's make our declaration of faith. Somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Amen. Is that Sister Chelsea? Hey, Chelsea, how you doing? Good to see you. Let's bless the Lord for, amen. Is that Devin? You're, you grew hair, bro. <laughs> so I didn't know that was you. Let's bless the Lord for them. Thank y'all and welcome home. Amen. Somebody, well, he ain't called my name. When I get done with this message, you ain't going to say that. <laughs> Book of 2 Kings, chapter number 5, verses number 15. Uh, I'm going to read just, just a little bit more than uh, normal for our introductory text, but hang in there with me. The Bible declares, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Skipping down to verses number 19, go in peace, Elijah said, after Naaman had traveled some distance. Now, now watch this. This, this, this fellow Gehazi, the servant of Elijah. 20 declares, Gehazi, the servant Elijah, the man of God said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. <laughs> this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. 21 highlights a fabricated story that Gehazi comes up with. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say to two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags. With two sets of clothing, he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. Somebody shout, he got away. <laughs> no, he didn't. 25 declares, when he went in and stood before his master, Elijah asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go Anywhere, Gehazi answered, but Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? My kids be like that sometime, like, Dad, how did you know? <laughs> Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Ooh, 27. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you. This is the prophetic utterance for Gehazi. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence 
and his skin, watch this, was leprous. Leprous. It had become as white as snow. Everybody shout, wow. Father, now in Jesus' name, once again, thank you for this time. Be glorified, my King, in everything that's said and done. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I realize, God, that within Greg, I do not have the strength <laughs> uh, to minister what you want to say to your people. But I'm relying on you, Father. I'm relying on you. I thank you and I bless you now, God. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says... So today we're beginning a brand new series. And the title of this series, and, and I've been wrestling back and forth, trying to see what it is that God wants to communicate the next four to five weeks. And, and the title of this series is simply called Living from a Place of Wholeness. Living from a Place of of wholeness. Everybody just shout that. Living from a place of wholeness. Um, it's going to take me a couple of weeks to really just kind of uh, unpack all that God has placed in my spirit. So if you all just don't mind, I'm really going to take my time today and lay a strong foundation. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number three, verses number 11, the Bible declares he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity. Everybody shout eternity. The Bible declares he has also set eternity in the human heart. I'm going to read this same passage from Amplified. He has also planted eternity in men's heart a mind and minds, a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this phrase down. The human heart was created with an eternal void that only an eternal God can fill. I'm good, Tim. The human heart was created based off what we see in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. The human heart was created with an eternal emptiness void that only an eternal God can feel. Now, Aunt Charlotte, if that is the case, as believers, we ought to be the most complete people on the entire planet. Because we don't serve an idol. We serve the true and living God. And watch this. I am a Christian not because I follow the tenets of the faith. I am a Christian because the Spirit of God has taken a residence in my heart. That void that, that I was born with has been filled with his presence. So as a believer, we ought to be the most complete people in the entire world. Let's speak to this in Philippians 4.11 where the Bible declares, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, Paul says, to be content. Whatever the circumstance, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, watch this, well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, the most misquoted scripture in the entire Bible. Because when the man of God wrote this, he wasn't saying, I can get a new house through Christ which strengthens me. 
I can get a brand new car. I can get this job. I can, I can apply for this loan and get secured for this, this financial back. I can do all things through Christ. Paul wasn't talking about none of that. What he was talking about is living in a place of wholeness, a place of completeness, a place of contentment. Despite the vicissitudes of life, he says, I have the ability in Christ Jesus to be content. Come on, somebody, and not change because my circumstances are changing. Now, come on, y'all. Come on, come on, y'all. Go with me. Yeah. So, so my wife, she does taxes. And, um, man, <laughs> it is a different walk um, around March the 1st and April the 8th. Around March the 1st, brother, come in with them papers. Here you go, Miss McGee. Here you go. Thank you. April 8th, he be like, God bless you. How y'all doing? What's the difference? My situation changed. And because my situation changed, my attitude changed. And God says, I'm tired of my people fluctuating internally because of external situations. When will we learn to be content no matter? <laughs> God wants us, watch this, to live in a place of wholeness. Not to go visit there when you got a big check. Not to go visit there when you, uh, are y'all with me in this place? But God, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. God wants us to live in a place of wholeness. Watch this. Colossians 2, 9, the Bible declares, for in Christ all the, everybody shall fullness. Ooh, this is so good. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to, watch this, that same fullness that's in him, because of Christ, we've been brought into this place of fullness. As a believer, we ought to be the most whole, complete, satisfied people in the entire world. Let's, let's add some, some definition of what it means to be spiritually whole. Again, if you take a note, jot this down. Spiritual wholeness, I'm defining it as a place of satisfaction with who God is in your life, what he has in store for you, and when his will is to execute his plan. That's spiritual wholeness. If I was a poet, y'all need to be snapping. <laughs> spiritual wholeness, my man Jones, is when I come to the place of satisfaction of who God is in my life. <laughs> what's, 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 the, what's the difference? Because it's evident that some of y'all aren't satisfied with God alone because you're like, man, man, if I could just get my man to just endorse me here, if I can get my man to do this, if I can get him to write a forward from a book, then I'll do this. If I, man, if I get this car, if I get that house, if I get this loan, if I get this, then I will be. No. God says, I want you to get to a place of satisfaction Ooh. of who I am in your life. Number one. Number two. What I got in store for you, number three, 
when I plan, when I plan to execute what I want to do for you. Somebody shout, that's spiritual holiness. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. <laughs> Pop, I'm a better man when I'm at that place. <laughs> I really am. I'm, I'm like a better father. Um, I'm not moody. I'm not angry. I'm not, you know what I'm saying, irritable and all that other kind of stuff because I know what it's like not to be in the place. And, and I'm, I'm not a happy guy. Everybody shout, you ought to do better, Pastor. <laughs> I know, I know y'all, y'all, I can take it. I know when I'm not in that place, we're satisfied with God alone, satisfied with God, God in store with me, for me, satisfied with God timing. I, I know what it's like, and I'm, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not good. Go ahead, hit, hit me again. You ought to do better, Pastor. Yep, I should. But watch this. Y'all remember um, during the month of March, the, 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 the man of God, it was at least two of them, and the woman of God said something like, says she, I mean, they said something powerful. They were like, Pastor McGee, I see the favor of God upon your life. God's hand is there. And then one of them said something that, that I mean, they flipped the church upside down. And they said, the favor is on you, and it's going to touch everything that's connected to you. And y'all went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we crazy. Yo, we crazy. So, if God is not just going to bless me, but he's going to bless everything that's connected to me, <laughs> when the devil fight me, <laughs> oh, y'all ain't going to shout now. <laughs> oh, y'all ain't going to praise now, huh? Yeah, if the devil, if God gonna bless me and everything that's connected to me gonna get blessed, when the devil fight, <laughs> somehow I'm going through cause of pastor. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna let you have it this season, pastor. I come back. Look, I come back in March. <laughs> oh my God! So 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 I'm I'm. Y'all just challenged me, and y'all just said it. I set you up. I set you up. Returner. Y'all said, yeah, Pastor, you need to do better. Well, I'm telling you, you need to do better, too. Because if God wants me in the place of wholeness, this place of completeness, because I function better out of this place, I, 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 I flow better, I live better out of this place, and if the devil knows that, he's going to try everything that he can to get me out of this place of wholeness. So, so I pose the question to myself, what, what lures someone out of a place of wholeness? I mean, out of this place of satisfaction with who God is, what he has in store for me, and his time of execution for his plan in my life, what lures an individual out of that particular place. And so, so the Spirit of God highlighted this story in 2 Kings chapter number 5 that I want to I want to I want to extrapolate a couple of principles out of here. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the text of 2 Kings chapter number 5. Just follow it, follow me. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, just have some patience on pastor today. <laughs> I'm tired and I'm trying to do this. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm so tired. 2 Kings chapter number 5, verse number 1. The Bible declares, now Naaman was 
commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Everybody shout, but. But he had this hideous disease called leprosy. Two declares, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. And, and look, look at the support of the king. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, and look what he took, y'all. Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Every commentary that I read concerning the value of this equated this to one to $1.2 million. The king loved this man right here. I'm sending with you one to $1.2 million to give to the prophet, to the man of God, in exchange for healing, cleansing of this hideous skin disease. Now, you know the rest of the story. Um, Naaman goes down there, and he's disappointed because Elijah won't even come out the house. And he tell, he tell him to go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times. And, and, and Naaman's like, man, this jacked up, man. I thought you was going to come and wave your hand over me and, you know, do, do all this, you know, whatever. Dip seven times. And then, of course, his servants comes to Naaman and said, now, if the prophet would have told you to do some crazy, bold move, wouldn't you have done it? He said, yeah, why don't you just go on and dip seven times? So he dipped seven times in the Jordan River. He comes up, skin is clean. This is where we picked up in our introduction. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Watch this. Please accept 1.2. How many of y'all would love to be the prophet right now? <laughs> please accept. I mean, I just, I mean, I mean. He, fine, he asked nicely, please accept 1.2 million. <laughs> Jesus. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Now, who comes into play at this particular time is his servant Gehazi. So, first of all, let's put Gehazi in a place of wholeness where he should be, in a place of wholeness, okay? So, so spiritually, what in the world could Gehazi lack because you serve him, the most powerful man of God in the entire land, okay? Financially, you don't lack a thing because the prophet is blessed, and as long as you're with the prophet— you're going to eat good every night. Third, and this is what blows me away, Gehazi is now serving in the former position of his master, Elijah, or Elisha, some pronounce. Remember Elijah serving Elijah? 
He was the servant of the master prophet when God took Elijah, Elisha became the man of God on, on the scene and received the double portion of his anointing. Well, Gehazi is currently in that position. So watch this. When Elijah leaves the scene, Gehazi is supposed to be the next master prophet. So when it comes to a place of wholeness, what in the world is this man lacking? So I'm trying to figure out what would drive Gehazi to do just a hideous move like that. And everything that I read pointed to lust. But I wasn't satisfied. Everything I read, it, it, pointed to, it pointed to jealousy. It pointed to covetousness. But when I looked at the definition of lust, of covetousness, and jealousy, it didn't fit exactly the scenario of Gehazi. So I'm wrestling with this thing. I sent out a couple. Marco Polo called a couple people, and I said, man, help me figure out this text. I need to see what it is that, 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 that got this boy. Watch this. Finna lose everything. And this is what God showed me. It wasn't jealousy. It wasn't lust. It wasn't covetousness. This is what God showed me. In 2 Kings 5.19, go in peace, Elijah said, after Naaman had traveled some distance. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said to himself, this is why he did it. My master was too easy on Naaman. This Aramean, by not accepting, by not taking some of that 1.2, he got too much. It wasn't lust. You want to know what it was? It was envy. Now, I, I had to take a step back because, real talk, Whenever I minister a message, I always try to find myself. And so when God highlighted envy, I'm like, God, <laughs> you understand? Like, now, if you would have said jealousy, I've been there before. Lust, been there before. Covetous, been there before. But envy, come on now. Out of 26 years of ministry, I have never done a sermon on envy. Because I've never seen my place, myself in a place of envy, Ever. Until the Holy Ghost started dealing with me. <laughs> Envy, resenting the advantage of another with the desire to possess the same advantage. <laughs> uh, the painful or resentful awareness of another's advantage joined with the desire to possess the same advantage. Look, 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 look at how this guy juxtaposes jealousy and, and envy. Um, he says, we are jealous of our own. We are envious of another man's possession. Jealousy fears to lose what it has. Envy is pain at seeing another have it. And I know some some of y'all some of y'all like this is a good this is a cute little message. I I pray somebody gets some like this because it looked like he studied pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me just do a check. <laughs> let me just do a check see if it if it's some envy in the house. Now y'all all just sit tight, be quiet, don't say nothing, and we won't know it's you. Just, 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 
That's why I love you. Jeff's like, Pastor, I've committed all the sins in the Bible. Just. <laughs> so, so it's, it's three, three, three phases to envy that I studied. Here's the first one. Have you ever seen someone accomplish? Just, just think about it. Don't say nothing, please. Just, just think about it. Have you ever seen someone succeed, accomplish something, do something, achieve something, and it was hard for you to speak well of them, or you had some reason to explain away their success? Well, the only reason she got it, because her daddy, if it wasn't for her daddy, she wouldn't have. <laughs> and watch this, watch this, watch this. Girl, you just jealous. I ain't jealous. You right this time. You're envious. That's, that's, that's the first level of envy. Here's the second level. Second level is when you just don't talk about it, but you actually got a little power now you can do something about it. And you start sabotaging and you start on purpose wrecking relationships, pulling people away from other folk. Now you're doing something about it. That ain't jealousy, that's envy. But then there's another side of envy that is hard to see, but is there. It's when you take somebody who has achieved something and you don't talk about them, you don't do nothing about them, but what you do, you go by yourself and you work yourself to death to try to outdo them. So the first two, you verbally or physically trying to hurt them. The third manifestation of envy is you wind up hurting yourself trying to be something that God might not even have for you. I'm, I'm going to show you in the text. I'm going to show you in the text. Watch this. Watch this. Ecclesiastes chapter number four, verses four. The preacher declares, then I observe that most people are motivated to succeed because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. Oh, he got his kids a trampoline. Oh, I'm finna get my babies a trampoline. Oh, they getting a pool? Oh, I'm getting ready to get me a pool. Oh, he got a new car? I'm getting ready to get me a new car. And you maxing out credit cards? Come on, somebody. You, you messing up. You messing up financial goals all because success is driven by what somebody else has achieved. <laughs> Watch this. Philippians chapter number one, verse number 12, the man of God writes, and he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What happened to him? He got put in jail. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now look at this. 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. I thought I had 16 on here. 
16, he's going to say, it's okay, don't worry about it, because the, the, the gospel is being proclaimed. But 15 pierced my heart, because 15 highlights a bunch of people doing the right thing for the wrong motive. In essence, they are preaching the gospel, but they're trying to do it at a point where they look better than the Apostle Paul. And how many times have people applauded your success? Girl, you did that. I'm so proud of you when behind the scene God is like, I see what you did, but I also know why you're doing what you're doing. It has nothing to do with my glory. It has everything to do with your own vain glory so people can see you better than other Am I in this house? Watch this. I started looking up envy, and I saw all these scriptures in envy. I'm like, my God, have I ever read my Bible? How come I've never seen envy in the Bible before? I'll tell you why I never saw it in the Bible, because I never saw it in me, and it was there all along. <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't see in my past that there was that there were certain things that were motivated by what somebody else had. Let me help somebody in this place. <sighs> Let me go there. Brother Turner, come here, my man. Come here, come here, come here. That's what I asked Brother Turner to do for me. Brother Turner. Love you, my man. Love you, my man. So, um, Why y'all laughing? This is a big brother right here. This is a big brother. This is a big brother. So this is what I asked Brother Turner. And I called a couple, couple of brothers um, a couple of Wednesday night. This is what I asked them to do. So I'm, I'm starting this, this workout routine and regiment. And I told them the last time I really started working out and really started putting on size, my spirit changed. It did. It really did. It did. I don't even know if I told my wife, but this, this one guy, we was in Houston. I think I told you, Pops. Um, this one guy, uh, we was waiting on him to give, a, give my dad a haircut, and I was in there working out. I had my little pump and all that other kind of stuff, and we had been waiting for like hours, and he finally get up. And I bowed up at him, and I said, man, by time. And I said, I, I paused, and he got back in my face, and it was, it was about to be nasty. And then I backed down, and I thought, I, I, I just apologized, and I backed up, and I went into work, and I said, God, what is wrong with me? You mean to tell me a little size? Change your spirit like that? I'm serious, nah. Yeah. So, so, so I called this brother, I called this brother, and I called several other brothers, and I said, look, I'm, I'm seriously working out, building on size. I need y'all to just monitor my spirit. And I gave them permission to check me. If you see my spirit get off, check me. All right? So watch this. Here is envy. It manifests in one of three ways. I started talking about it. Yeah, he a police officer. I bet he got time to work out. That's all he do is work out. They pay you to work out. That's why you so big. I mean, you know, that's, that's envy. Real talk. Envy. Envy manifests where you physically try to stop him from, from being great or being who he is. And I can't do that because he's too big. He ain't doing that at all. Give me some, guy. Love ya. 
Here's, here's the third manifestation of envy. I look at his size, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. He'll never know it, but I'm going to show you. And I spend so much time in the gym, I don't have time with my wife. I don't study. I ain't praying. I ain't spending no time with God. And watch this. One Sunday, I come in here like this. <sighs> Left your Bible in there. This is my Bible. <laughs> and watch this. I showed you. You understand? I showed you. <laughs> but look at what I sacrificed trying to show him. I wonder, what are you sacrificing trying to show somebody? It's called envy. Thank you, sir. It's called envy. Look, look I just want to read a couple of scriptures, and then, and then we're going to roll. I'm, we, we're going to roll. Matthew 20, anybody getting anything? I pray you are. I pray you are. Matthew 27, 17. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? I mean, that's an easy answer. Jesus ain't do nothing. Barabbas is a known murderer. It's funny. Every, pop, every time I see a movie that showcases Barabbas, I mean, he always this wild-looking beast of a man. I mean, he is a known killer. Who do you want me to release? This known killer. Or Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> 18 says he posed a question because he knew very well that the religious leaders, they only arrested Jesus out of envy. They saw Jesus thriving in his ministry, and more people were now coming to the fields as opposed to the synagogues. Acts chapter number 7, verse number 9, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. The only reason Joseph got sold is because his brothers were envious of the relationship that he had with his father. Acts 13, 45. But when, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And look what envy drove them to do. And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. When you can't say nothing good about somebody else's success, you're dealing with envy. James 3, 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now, I, I love that phrase, that last phrase. If you're dealing with envy, don't, don't boast about it and don't deny the truth. What, what is this idea of boasting about it? Because there are times, again, you can use envy as motivation to succeed. But don't boast about it because it's corrupt. It's bad gas. It's got some other than ethanol in it. Don't boast about it. It's not good. Neither deny the truth. Here's the truth. Look at 15, 16. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual. And guess what, y'all? When you're dealing with envy, it is demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice if you allow envy to consume your heart looking at somebody else you will do whatever you can to prove to them or somebody else that you got it every evil practice so what's 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 the solution what's the solution
Two things I want to highlight real quick. Thank you, God. Two things I want to highlight. Ain't God good, y'all? Ain't God good? God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Yo, Najee, come here, my man. Come here. This athletic young buck. I'm going to ask you a question. You think you can beat me in running? You can beat me in running? Yeah. <laughs> you think? Jack, come here. Come here. I just want you to stand right here. Stand right here. Just hold your hand. Hold your hand up. Just like this, all right? Let's go, bad boy. Your mark. Oh, just take them off. Do what you gotta do. What you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. You heard? On your mark. Ready? Set? Go. It's just a warm up. Your mark. Ready? Set. <laughs> Let me show you how to overcome envy. Stop looking at the other runners. Stop looking at the other runners and run your own race. Run your race. If you run your race because, watch this, watch this, just stand here. The goal is not to beat him. The, the goal is to do my best to finish. <laughs> what is he going to say in the end? He's not going to say, well done, thy good and fast, who beat everybody else. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over the few. Now I'm going to make you a ruler. You finished your, look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, just worry about your race. Thank you. You want to overcome? Envy, be concerned about your own race. Now, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be challenging for some of y'all. It's going to be challenging because God is going to have to make some of y'all uh, uh, adjust some time frames in your life because it's hard for you to run your ways while you're strolling, looking at everybody else's. I'm not anti-social media. But in many of our lives, it is a key component to envy manifesting because you always looking, watch this, at the fabricated stories of everybody else. <laughs> Me and my wife took this picture. We took a family picture. This was several, several Easter's ago. We, we took a family picture, and I promise we took 100 shots before we got one we all liked. I mean, I'll be smiling, doing my smile, and they'd be like, doo, 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 doo. I'll be smiling, then Greg would be looking crazy, Charity doing this, Teresa doing that, Aisha doing this. It took 100 shots, and we put the 100th if <laughs> photo on Facebook, and we got all these comments like, y'all so cute, y'all gone, that yellow look good on y'all. I love y'all family. This is a, and I'm thinking to myself, do you know how long it took for us to get this picture? And you have folks looking at that picture like, 
my family, we don't never take no photos. Why y'all don't never look right when we take photos? It took 100 shots. Some of you all scrolling time is feeding a spirit of envy. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to stop comparing. We got to stop comparing. We got to, it's not, it's not, watch this, it's not fair. You're being unfair to yourself when you compare. Real talk, because what God has for one, he has for one. What God has for you, it is for you. What God has for another, it is for another. This is what I know about God. No matter what he has for you or for me, it's great for us. Because eyes have not seen, ears have neither heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for us. Somebody shout, God has great things in store for me. So if you will spend your time minding your business and stop minding and other folk business, you'd be a whole lot happier right now. So, so if I'm going to arrive at this place of spiritual wholeness, I'm talking about being whole, being whole, and I'm going to shy away from this place of envy because envy is a place. It's not just something that you just experience. No, I'm telling you, you can't be whole and envious at the same time. You in one or the other. Either you are spiritually whole, I'm satisfied with who God is in my life, what he has for me, and his timing of execution, or you are in a place of envy. Come on, somebody, where you're saying, I'm not satisfied. I, I need something else to go along with with God. I'm not satisfied with God's timing, and I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get there. So, so, God help me. God help me. So I say, God, what I need to do? What I need to do? God says, trust me that I'm enough. Trust me that, hear, hear, hear me out, give me some of this off, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm enough. Man, watch, let me, okay, let me, man, what happened, man, if T.D. Jakes came to this church and preached, get ready, get ready, get ready. Man, what would it be like, man, if he asked me to come preach at, at the Potter's house, man? Man, what would it be like if Dr. Hilliard asked me to do this? R.A. Vernon asked me, Joe Osteen called me and be like, Greg, if you would come, what? Man, what would it, my, my life, man, my ministry on a whole nother. I'm satisfied with God alone. <laughs> if I never get a call or not. No, no, I need you to hear me because there's a difference between completion and complacency. I ain't talking about being complacent because it's a, a brushuga, it's a bulldog on the inside of me. But you know what the bulldog is consumed with? The meat that God has given me. I ain't looking in your bowl trying to get your meat. Y'all ain't saying that. I'm satisfied with what God has put in my bowl. The Bible declares the blessings of the Lord make it what, y'all? And add what, y'all? No sorrow. Sorrow comes when you try to add it to yourself. Sorrow comes when you try to go after goals that God didn't give you. You go after things that God didn't place in your... It comes, it comes when sorrow, when you try to do it. 
So I got to stop the comparison and I got to come to a place where I say, God, whoo, thank you, Jesus. <sighs> this was crazy. This is this, this, like the thing about God that I, I just never really understood. Still don't understand it sometimes now. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you'll try to manipulate it. Now, now, now hear me out. So this beautiful girl right here, she came into my life at a point when I had just arrived at a place where I don't need a woman in my life. <laughs> you, you feel that? Like I had just got there like, you know what, God? I really, I just, I just like just being with you. And then she show up. I'm like, what? I was looking for a job when I got out of college. I was working at a place I wasn't satisfied with. And I was putting out every resume that I possibly could. And I had finally got to a place where, you know what, God, although it's crazy, chaotic, I'm being persecuted, I'm being fought, I'm okay with where I am right now. And a week later, a guy comes into the store and says, hey, Greg, I've been looking for you, man. The company is hiring now. Now, as soon as I get to a place of satisfaction, then you come with that. Now, 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 watch this. You'll try to manipulate. You'll be like, God, I'm, I'm fine with this job. Just move fast. <laughs> you, you'll try to manipulate it. So I'm trying to figure this thing out. God says, you got to learn to be satisfied with the idea and trust me that I have your best interest in mind. And I not only know what I have for you, I know when the best time to give it to you. I need y'all to hear me in this place. I need y'all to... Y'all heard me tell this testimony years ago. My wife and I, we had just got married, and we used to make all these little crazy threats all the time. And I was working at Walgreens, and I had just came home driving the Ford Ranger. Pop, truck was on E. You know how when you get on E, you can smell a little gas? Wasn't smelling no gas. It was on E. My wife got mad at me, and she said, I'm leaving. Come on, Aisha. <laughs> My girl went in there and started packing bags. Slamming stuff, knocking doors, walk past. I said, I'm leaving. Now, normally what I do, my man, is I be like, come on, baby, let's work this thing out. Like, come on, I don't do that. But this time I just sit on the couch. And the reason I sit on the couch. <laughs> we ain't got no gas. <laughs> we, we ain't got no gas. <laughs> So, so you know, usually it's this dramatic thing that we go through, and, and if I sit back and I chill, she'll go, she walked out the house, she slammed the door, pow, got in the truck, and she sat there for like 10 minutes, and I'm just sitting on the couch, because I know. She come back in the house, drag Aisha in the couch, see, I know you don't care nothing about me. If you cared about me, you would have came. And I said, babe, we ain't got no gas. <laughs> Watch this. We got a little gas now. We got a little gas now. And the stuff that we prayed about then, had God gave it to us, let me just say, if God gave us a little gas back then, we wouldn't be together now. But God says, all of these blessings that I have in store for you, that I plan to give to you, 
I know when you can handle it so it don't drive you crazy, drive you outside of my will, split up your family. Will you trust me enough to know that I have it for you and I have the time allocated to give it to you? When you can handle it. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Ah. So two things I'm leaving you with. Here's my challenge. Here's number one. Number one. Number one. You got to make a decision to stop comparing. To stop comparing. Now watch this. It's a decision that you make, but it's inventory that you have to search out. You have to make a decision, but then you have to search out what are things that I'm doing that place me in a comparison state where I start looking at other people and wondering what they're doing and trying to compete with them. What, what, I got to do some inventory work there. That's number one. Here's number two. And you have to do this in your quiet time with God. You have to confess to God, God, you're enough. I'm satisfied with you alone. I shared this two weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. I was in my private prayer time, and I was, I was, some things were just irritating me. It was irritating me. It was, and I've been praying about this for a while, but ain't nothing changed. Then it finally hit me. I said, you know what, God? I said, if you don't change this, I'm okay. And then I took it a step further, and it was crazy. I don't know what the Holy Ghost must have got on me. I don't know. But I prayed something real crazy. I said, God, you know what? Don't change it. Because it's actually, the irritation is actually provoking me to do what I'm supposed to do anyway. So keep this thorn in my flesh. I, I asked God to do that. Keep this thorn in my flesh. You know what I was saying? I was saying, God, I'm satisfied with you alone. And I don't need anything else to define me in order for me to be who I am. God, you are sufficient. And I trust what you have for me. And I trust the thing that I've been praying for, you're going to give it to me when it's time. Until then, I'm going to be, I have learned that in whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. Whether hungry, well fed. Whether in need, want, lack, or whether full, I've learned to be content.